This Spotlight episode of the Security Ledger podcast is brought to you by RSA Security. RSA offers business-driven security solutions that provide organizations with a unified approach to managing digital risk that hinges on integrated visibility, automated insights, and coordinated actions. RSA solutions are designed to effectively detect and respond to advanced attacks, manage user access control, and reduce business risk, fraud, and cybercrime. RSA protects millions of users around the world and helps more than 90% of the Fortune 500 companies thrive and continuously adapt to transformational change. For more information, visit rsa.com. This is the Security Ledger Podcast, and I'm Paul Roberts, Editor-in-Chief at the Security Ledger. In this spotlight episode of the podcast... We we have people that want to do the right thing, but don't necessarily know how to do the right thing. If anyone doubted it, the sudden emergence of the COVID-19 virus in the early months of 2020 has reminded us about the vital importance of public sector organizations, from first responders and hospital workers who are on the front lines battling the pandemic, to public departments of health, to schools and educators. Despite that, public sector organizations frequently find themselves in the crosshairs of sophisticated cyber criminals and nation-state actors these days. Around the world, threats like ransomware have crippled everything from municipal governments to hospitals to public transit networks, disrupting the lives and economic activity for hundreds of millions of people. Add to that the acuity of a global pandemic or even a natural disaster, and the damage caused by these attacks could be even greater. What are public sector organizations doing about cyber risk? At the recent RSA conference in San Francisco this past February, I had a chance to talk with some subject matter experts from industry, as well as those who have boots on the ground in the public sector about the changing threat landscape in which public sector organizations operate. In this month's Spotlight podcast, we're bringing you those interviews. To start off, we're joined by Sean McHenry, the CISO at the Utah State Board of Education, and Kevin Coleman, who's executive director of the National Cybersecurity Alliance, or NCSA. Welcome back. We're at the RSA Security Conference here in San Francisco, California. My name is Paul Roberts. I'm the editor-in-chief of the Security Ledger. And we're here this week talking with some of the folks who have come out to the show. These are the thought leaders and experts in the information security field. I'm really uh, happy to have with me uh, two gentlemen. Sean McHenry, you're the Chief Information Security Officer at the Utah State Board of Education. Welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. (laughs) And Kelvin Coleman, you are the Executive Director of the National Cybersecurity Alliance, NCSA. Welcome. I am, and great to be here. It's great to have you both. (laughs) Kelvin, National Cybersecurity Alliance, um, if folks aren't familiar with it, just give us a a little overview of what NCSA does. The National Cybersecurity Alliance is a public-private partnership model uh, where we work with the federal government, particularly the Cyber uh, Infrastructure and Security Agency uh, at the Department of Homeland Security as well as our 32 companies uh, to bring cyber education awareness to the American people. Okay. We're talking 360 million Americans in 50 states and six territories. We want them to know about these emerging technologies and what it means for their daily lives. And uh, at the National Cybersecurity Alliance, we utilize things uh, such as uh, National Cybersecurity Awareness Month in October, Data Privacy Day. 
day, cybersecurity my business. Uh, we have a great partnership with the NASDAQ, where we're really trying to make sure folks understand what cybersecurity means for their everyday lives. I think one thing that we've really seen a lot in the last few years uh, is an increasing amount of intention, uh, attention and concern about cybersecurity threats to the public sector. Sean, you're here from Utah. What should we know about kind of uh, the, the state of play right now in the public sector and what some of the challenges that uh, state and local governments are facing in, in, in uh, the cybersecurity space? Well, you know, in, in the public sector, we do face a lot of the same um, as the private sector does. Uh, however, you know, we are under a much bigger microscope yeah. uh, with a whole lot more lights on yeah. us. Uh, whether it's the general public demanding transparency mm -hmm. and being able to have access to more and more of the data that, that we house, mm -hmm. to um, threat actors who have some kind of reason for trying to take us down, you know, mm -hmm. some kind of axe to grind, to nation states that are, are trying to infiltrate yeah. to, um, to either position themselves for something in the future or to disrupt services. Right. And NCSA, I mean, what's your, what, what is your organization's kind of perspective on, you know, some of the challenges, both, you know, at the federal, state, and local government uh, level? I think Sean said it best in that we're all facing the same challenges. Mm -hmm. And because um, uh, I, I, at the National Cybersecurity Alliance, we look at it in three buckets, right? Products, processes, and people. Mm -hmm. uh, we're really good at building products, as, you know, in the industry. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. we're, we're here, and, right. and they're doing a great job. Yeah. And uh, we love our processes, and we mm -hmm. do that. We do that really, really well. Mm -hmm. We're here talking about the human element. That's the theme. That's the theme. And that last part for us, people at the National Cybersecurity Alliance, uh, that's the thing that we want to focus on. We make make sure that folks understand they have a huge say in this, a huge part in this. Yeah. When you're looking at. 83 plus, I think, 85% of breaches coming through some human era. Yeah. And yet, I think on average, in the public sector as well as private sector, about 15% of training and awareness budget will go to human beings. Yeah. It seems disproportional in that we need to flip that. Right. Because the human element, I think, is so key in mitigating the challenges. It's really true. And we've seen on the industry side, certainly a response in that there are many more kind of uh, cybersecurity awareness and Mm -hmm. uh, phishing detection and training organizations that have come along. Uh, public sector organizations are taking advantage of those private sector organizations. Is there a limit to to how how much risk you can offload just through training and user education, though? I mean, is there um, is there a limit there to, to what we can do? I think that when we talk about the training and um, you know, helping the end users to be part of the solution, uh -huh. uh, I, I really do think that there needs to be a shift in the way we address. It. Okay. The annual cybersecurity training, personally, I think, is you know proven to be pretty ineffective. Right. You know, it's it's right. a box to check. We've got some regulation. You know, and so I, in almost every meeting that I go to, try and put one little more nugget out there. You know, and that constant every day, every week, trying to reinforce the idea. This is everybody's 
bucket to carry. I think one of the reasons, one of the areas we've really seen this problem come to light is obviously with the sort of uh, ransomware uh, infections that have that have happened all over the country, uh, state, local governments, private sector, obviously as well. We were talking before ransomware isn't a new phenomenon; it's been around mm -hmm. for 20 years. I think what's different is um, that th these are really crippling organizations in ways that basically are impossible mm -hmm. to hide. You know, so it's going to make news. You know, if you're a public sector organization and you can't, you know, send checks out or bills out or you know provide a public service, uh, that's going to get noticed really quickly. From your perspective, has that has that changed the dynamic? Has it has it made um, it easier maybe for you to get the attention around cybersecurity issues and and investments that uh, than than before? It it has. You got to love the press in <laughs> in being able to do part of the job for us. Yes. Yeah. You know, and but as as we as we sit down with with IT leadership with leaderships within the agency talking with the board, ransomware is something that is very much in the forefront of people's minds. Mm -hmm. But when we circle that back to the human element and and the people within the within the agency, mm -hmm. helping them to realize that you know you know think before you click. Yes. You know yeah. and yeah. you know and we we have a I've been able to institute a, a pretty uh, regular reoccurring phishing testing mm -hmm. that that I do and I work with uh, with my people mm -hmm. on. And um, that you developed yourself, or that you, you no, using using vendors, using vendors you know, yeah. to, to uh -huh. help to help do that. Uh -huh. But the program, you know, I've put together, mm -hmm. you know, and we we have seen some very significant uh, improvement in our users and the way they respond to phishing, you know, and and the thing that I like most about what's happening is not so much that they click or don't click, but when I walk the halls, I hear them talking about it. Yeah, yeah. That's the biggest success. Yeah, kind of the culture of security. Kelvin, I mean, what are your thoughts? You know, ransomware is really just a, a symptom, not a cause. But I mean, I think one of the other trends that we're seeing is organizations, private sector, public sector, are you know the the, the relationship of the workforce to the to the um, employer has really changed, right? Work from home, work from a Starbucks, right? So organizations are really, including public sector, are embracing those challenges. Um, but it really increases their risk. And, and we're going to see more of that risk being out there in the next several years because uh, over the last from you know the last five years well five years ago we had about 15 billion connected devices wow. uh, today yeah. we have about 20 billion connected devices yeah. so at about a 25 30 percent jump mm -hmm. uh, in the next five years it's going to jump 300 percent to at least 60 65 billion connected devices mm. and so this challenge that you're bringing up now uh, is one that we're really going to have to think serious about and, sure. and, and, and take it serious and I, I really applaud what they're doing in terms of yeah I got my vendor and he created something but I made it specific to my uh, employees that's what we encourage people to do they know their culture best and we want them to really build these programs so that their employees their people uh, can understand it best because for too long we've treated human beings like computers check this box do this yeah no right you have to treat change your right. password right. change your password right. you know we got to change that culture because because huh. this technical revolution is not going anywhere anytime soon. So we talked about sort of uh, you know user education, uh, phishing detection, those types of things. Are there other things that that um, in your experience, both of yours, 
work in terms of um, you know raising employee uh, awareness or worker awareness of cybersecurity risks, uh, whether that's tools, technologies. Well, being in education, yeah, um, it's there, there's very much a push toward using technology in the classroom, mm -hmm. and so technology is really on the forefront of um, everybody's sure mind. Yeah, and you know what what can we do to improve the education of our kids? Mm -hmm. And so because technology is is there, and because we have a lot of people who really do want to do the right thing, um, it, it really does help. Mm -hmm. you know, one of the biggest, you know, we talk a little bit about culture. In in that same vein, I, I think more of, you know, trying to break the inertia. Mm, that that we, we, we have people that want to do the right thing, but don't necessarily know how to do the right thing. Right, right. Or they, they, they have in their mind, I, I need this technology because it's going to benefit education and trying to get them to break their their thought process of but what's it what could it do if you implement um, an untested technology into your environment right you know and so just having those conversations and trying to break that inertia yeah you know and I mean you know, even in even as IT professionals we we have that same thing you know, we need to break the inertia in cybersecurity professionals Doing cybersecurity five years ago, when almost everything was on-prem, mm -hmm. to doing cybersecurity testing and ensuring that we've we've got good controls in place in the cloud, those are two different things. Yes, you know we we have to break our thought process and focus on what that new technology is. Calvin, you mentioned you've been doing some some talks while you're out here with uh, you know representatives from the FBI and and law enforcement. Um, what's the message that you're hearing from them? Partnership. Got a partner uh, at all levels, the local levels, um, state level, federal level, mm -hmm. private sector mm -hmm. partnerships. That's been the big thing. Mm -hmm. Is that there, or is that a, is that a work in progress? I guess is um, uh, in your experience is work it, in progress. Yeah, work yeah. in progress, but getting better. Yeah, I've seen it much better uh, over Absolutely. the last several years. Years past, FBI or others may have been reluctant to talk yeah. to Utah or California or, or you know Topeka, Kansas. Right. Uh, but that's changing because it is a team sport. The bad actors are partnering, they're collaborating, they're coordinating, far be it for us to not do the same thing. Final advice to uh, folks out there who, like Sean, are working in the public sector, working in public sector agencies or organizations about uh, cyber risk, what, what's something that they can, what are some things that they can do that's going to have the biggest bang for its buck in terms of really reducing their cyber risk? Don't recreate the will. There are resources out there, there are people out there, there are organizations out there who want to help, want to partner. Uh, uh, National Cybersecurity Alliance being one, but there are others out there uh, who want to do the same thing. I know the FBI was just talking to us about, make sure that we're, you're connecting us, Kelvin, two different communities, mm -hmm. two different organizations. Um, and so I think that's the biggest thing. Don't recreate the will. Let's work together and take advantage of the resources that are currently out there. Uh, CISA, uh, Cybersecurity Infrastructure and Security Agency. Mm -hmm. They've got a whole program built around this. Um, and so we're trying to beat that drum to make sure people understand that you don't have to recreate the will. We're there to partner with you. Okay. 
John? Very much, you know, in agreement. In one word, relationships. Mm. Uh-huh. You know, that it's one thing to have a, you know, vendor relationship and, you know, you're my vendor, but to have that personal relationship that, you know, get to know the people that you work with, mm-hmm. you know, what are their interests and their hobbies and, you know, develop those relationships. Mm-hmm. And I think that would go a long, long way in, you know, strengthening the bonds of cybersecurity. Calvin Coleman, NCSA, John McHenry, State of Utah, thank you so much for coming in and speaking to us uh, at this RSA conference. It's been great having you on. It's been fun being here. Absolutely great to be here. Great. You're listening to a Spotlight edition of the Security Ledger podcast. This Spotlight podcast is sponsored by RSA Security. Up next, Malaysia is in a busy neighborhood when it comes to cybersecurity. The Pacific nation of 32 million people sits smack dab in the middle of the rapidly developing South China Sea, pressed up against Indonesia, and in the shadow of an emerging superpower, China. The country is also developing rapidly on its own, embracing Industry 4.0 and the Internet of Things as it seeks to quickly modernize its public sector and its economy. That makes managing the country's CERT a challenging job for one of our next guests, Dr. Aswami Arafin, or Dr. AA, who's the Senior Vice President of the Cybersecurity Responsive Division at Cybersecurity Malaysia, the nation's top computer emergency response team, or CERT. At RSA, I met with Dr. AA, as well as Robert Carey, RSA's Vice President of Global Public Sector Solutions, to talk about the threats that are top of mind for him and other public sector organizations. With us here in the studio, we've got two people to talk about a topic that is getting a lot of conversation and a lot of discussion, which is cybersecurity risks in the public sector. To start out, I'm going to introduce Aswami, who is the Senior Vice President of Cybersecurity Response in Malaysia. Yes, I am. Welcome. Thank you. And Rob Carey, who is the Vice President of Public Sector for RSA Security. Rob, welcome. Thank you. It's great to have you both. Thank you. This is a topic, cybersecurity threats in the public sector, that is really um, kind of front and, and center for many people, in particular because of just the scourge of ransomware infections and cyber attacks that are targeting public sector organizations. Aswami, yes. you're, you're basically at the top of Malaysia CERT. Um, talk about how this problem looks in your country and, and in your part of the world. In, back in Malaysia, we have an uh, initiative by the government. We call it a uh, fourth IR. Mm-hmm. So um, to embrace uh, for IR and um, so that in terms of operational and whatnot, it be more efficient. Mm-hmm. So uh, the government is uh, transforming the um, traditional classical uh, economy way of doing things into mm-hmm. a so-called digital economy. Right. So uh, with uh, this uh, you know initiative, it comes uh, with a risk. So we as a national um, cybersecurity agency is uh, being entrusted to uh, observe, monitor and whatnot. Not only uh, on operational side, but also uh, we are also involved on the uh, policy making. Fourth IR, that's Fourth yeah. Industrial Revolution. That's yes. the, the, yeah. the acronym. Yeah, the, the acronym. Yes, yeah. right. So from third uh, to the fourth. I think right. uh, all over the world is embracing Fourth IR. Yes. Fortunately or unfortunately, it comes with a uh, risk. So uh, as a technical uh, specialist center, we are being re- Effort, no, by the uh, government, uh, by the public and private uh, private sectors to uh, provide some inputs as to you know devise the uh, policy, uh, and also um, uh, when uh, once uh, it is uh, operational, uh, we have a SOC facilitated uh, by Malaysian CERT, mm-hmm. so um, it is operational. So if anything happens, incidences and whatnot, uh, so we are there to assist you know the uh, public sector and also private sector. 
Interesting. Yeah. And uh, I know, Rob, we're going to talk about some of the you know initiatives that are going on here in this country, but um, when we're talking about things like Fourth Industrial Revolution, Smart City, and so on, what are some of the initiatives that are going on in Malaysia right now? What are some of the things? As rightly uh, mentioned by you, is the uh, one of it. Uh, one of the application is. Uh, Smart city, yes. and uh, at the same time, the uh, Ministry of Communication is pushing 5G, mm -hmm. uh, so that it will be uh, you know, facilitating uh, any applications, for example, like financial uh, transactions and, and 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 whatnot. We are being entrusted to provide uh, technical inputs. Uh, what are the issues uh, with respect to this uh, initiative and whatnot, so that uh, you know we can lend our technical assistance uh, to the country. Okay. Yeah. And Rob, you work on public sector, you work with public sector uh, organizations here and, and around the world uh, on, on behalf of RSA security. Um, uh, Aswami just mentioned some of the things that are happening in, in Malaysia. What are some of the initiatives uh, that are going on here in the United States and sort of some of the risk implications that you see of, uh, of you know, fourth industrial revolution, smart city, smart town, those types of things? Well, uh, so as Aswami was saying, the, the temptation to embrace the technology for its benefits, its mission benefits, its uh, citizen service benefits, right. is offset by how do I protect that ubiquitous connectivity which is coming? Mm -hmm. So the efforts to sort of break down, um, whether it's 5G, whether it's uh, mobile computing writ large, whether it's cloud computing, the combination of cloud and mobile identity, these things start to take a forefront mm -hmm. in how citizens will access services. Kids today, the, the generations that are growing up with computers, I did not, I, I was, I'm a digital immigrant, but the <laughs> digital natives, the people who grew up with this stuff, they have expectations that whatever shows up on their phone is real and true, mm. and, and we have to make sure that that's the case. So the efforts to put a structure around it, like NIST creates standards for cybersecurity infrastructure and the measurement of goodness so that you're you don't want to say you're hardened, but you are sufficiently protected against a minimal set of threats. You have controls in place so you know if something's wrong and you can do something about it. So with this temptation and this movement, the technology train moves very, very fast, as Swami was saying. Yeah. You must bring with it a digital risk management strategy to track uh, the potential vulnerabilities they're going to yes. come right. about. Yeah. So if you watch the Super Bowl here in the United States, you saw, I don't know how many 5G commercials. You know, uh, T-Mobile, AT&T, no, right. Verizon, right? So they're promoting this heavily in the public. Even before, really, there are many services, even before the technology is really in that's place, right. to kind of get people mentally prepared for it. But as often as the case when you're selling something, security and security risk are not, that's not necessarily a great conversation or a conversation you want to well, be having with your so customers. Security is generally the bane of convenience. Yeah, that's right. So what you can have done on your phone instantaneously is what typically is wanted. Right. The security layer is an abstract that is in you know, confluent or a conflict with that. Right. Yeah. Aswami, yes. um, from your perspective, what are some of the things that um, as, as communities, cities, countries look at, um, you know, Internet of Things and embracing Internet of Things yep. technologies, whether it's for smart city or manufacturing or what have you, what are some of the things that they can be doing to sort of lay the groundwork or prepare for the inevitable 
security risks and threats that are going to come with that increased connectivity and, and so on. Okay, thank you for the question. I think uh, the key uh, keyword here is the uh, coordination. Mm. As uh, I mentioned earlier, before you operationalize the uh, you know programs or any initiative, so you must uh, devise the uh, policy. So uh, in the policy, you must be able to understand the risk and uh, from the risk you put uh, security measures and whatnot, security controls here and there. It can be uh, technical, it can be non-technical, but it must be driven by the uh, policy. Mm. So uh, technical is just to assist no, in terms of uh, uh, making the uh, operational uh, smooth seamlessly but uh, the policy and uh, let's say if uh, anything happen any incidences or cases happen uh, coordination is uh, very important it's vital too mm -hmm. yeah public sector private sector yes, yes. right it, it cuts, uh, cuts across right uh, so that uh, for example like uh, any threat intelligence uh, information prior to uh, let's say you know uh, anything happen is mm -hmm. well being informed mm -hmm. uh, is being you know shared uh, to the uh, community mm -hmm. uh, be it uh, public or private so that they are well prepared if uh, anything happens uh, in the future I mean, we've seen a taste of what might happen with attacks like the NotPetya attack in 2017, yes, yes, right, yes. which was very disruptive. I don't think in your part of the world it was it was as big of a phenomenon, but in Europe and, and part of North America. Same. I think the same uh, incidences are uh, yeah. being faced uh, by uh, yeah. most countries. In most countries, yeah. Yes. What lessons did you learn from that particular uh, outbreak, do you think? Uh, personally or profession <laughs> professionally? Professionally. <laughs> uh, I see uh, in terms of uh, coordination, yeah, yeah because yeah. Uh, it's uh, happening here and there, it's just like, uh, you know, how do you handle, how do you uh, manage uh, incidences? And then uh, that's why with the uh, establishment of a CERT, as a national CERT, uh, as the uh, coordinating body in terms of technical, mm -hmm. so, uh, you know, it's just like a cyber hospital. Mm -hmm. So if anything happens, we respect to a digital initiative. Mm -hmm. So they are well assured that uh, they have a cyber hospital or a CERT that they could, uh, you know, um, uh, report to, so that uh, due diligence is being uh, being carried uh, out, so that we understand what kind of uh, incidences uh, happen, and we try to provide the so-called code and unquote antidote uh, to the uh, victims. Right. Yeah. So, Rob Moon, I think one of the trends that we're seeing a lot in the public sector space, as in the private sector, is a very strong movement towards cloud platforms and cloud computing. Mm -hmm. Obviously, at the federal government level, you know, deal with uh, Microsoft, and, and certainly at the state and local level, even you know, just a very consistent movement in that direction. Um, what is you know RSA's message to? Um, you know, uh, public sector, government organizations, um, public sector organizations, as they're migrating applications, compute power to the cloud, uh, on how to how to best manage their risk. So, uh, a couple couple of aspects of cloud. Cloud's been around for at least ten years in the public sector. The cloud first strategy came out uh, mm -hmm. with Vivek Kundra. And, and so the, the reticence to embrace that technology and the promise of the, the compute storage uh, engine changing shape um, was security. Mm -hmm. um, because now I'm, it's outside my firewall. Yeah. And, and now does the CISO own it? Am I responsible for what goes on out there? Mm -hmm. What work, what gets easier, what gets more difficult, what do I have to think about? The federal government put in place FedRAMP standards and they have uh, migrated over time to become pretty, pretty good, pretty well thought out. And so now the risk of moving workloads 
into the cloud has become somewhat of a rote process, mm -hmm. whereas before it was not. Mm -hmm. Now, um, and from a security perspective, from the actual um, benefit to the citizen, the benefit to the services, it still is a difficult process because cloud is an anvil that you're banging your legacy IT on, and whatever survives the shake, you can move in. But you don't want to move everything, and you can't afford that. Right. So, so the benefit is there. The flexibility of what it can do, the ability to sort of secure it and use it and mine the data that's in one place is very powerful, brings citizen services to the forefront. Mm -hmm. However, again, the digital risk management strategy has to be brought in place. You need identity, so you want to know who's exiting your firewall, who's mm -hmm. coming back in. Mm -hmm. You need visibility, and then you need sort of a what I call command and control. I need to look at a single pane of glass mm -hmm. to understand the network I have, plus now this cloud that is external. Uh, and then, you know, the cloud providers typically have backups somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So you're really looking at some amorphous place that holds your information and applications. Mm -hmm. I mean, one of the one of the criticisms often of, of government or public sector in general is you, you know very tends to be very fly, siloed by by function or department. Um, does do you see that getting uh, you know kind of uh, resolved uh, as as increasingly governments are moving to common platforms like Amazon Web Services, Microsoft Azure, Google, and so on? I think it's agency by agency dependent. Mm -hmm. um, that would be a no. That, oh yeah. <laughs> That was a good no, you know. But but I think, and there's a reason for that, because they all have their own cultures, they all yeah. have their own, they're starting from their legacy, which are all different starting positions, then they move to the cloud. So they're yeah. gonna end in a different place. Mm -hmm. And and the good news is, the governments, state, local, municipal, federal, mm -hmm. all have legislated budgets. So they're being told to do this, to, mm -hmm. to protect that information, which is really a good thing. Mm -hmm. the, the commercial sector tends to, to afford cyber protections based upon how much can I afford out of my bottom line. Mm -hmm. The Congress, for example, legislates you will do this. The cyber budgets are approaching 20% of the IT budget. They weren't many years ago. Right. IT budgets have flattened a little bit, just mm -hmm. under $100 billion for the U.S. public sector, U.S. government. But the cyber budget's approaching 20. So clearly the need to spend and to protect the now digital transformation that has occurred is resident. Mm. Yeah. What do you see? Um, just you know, again, you're you're a, a top uh, Malaysia cert um, in terms of you know the risks or threats to you know public and private sector organizations in in your country, in Malaysia. How how important is the coordination with other countries, other national certs, whether it's U.S. cert or, or what have yeah, you, to the work you do? Very good question. Uh, through uh, AP cert uh, mm -hmm. in the Asia Pacific uh, region, we mm -hmm. are the uh, chairman no? uh, for the AP cert. Uh, which uh, consists of Australia, uh, Japan and whatnot, and uh, we are being entrusted to look into uh, malware mitigations. Okay. Yeah, so uh, we did a lot of research and uh, uh, from to, uh, time to time uh, through meetings and whatnot, so we have to update, uh, for example, like how to mitigate uh, issues and risks, uh, you know, uh, is being, um, you know, uh, monitored and whatnot. And uh, through other sets, uh, of course, as a national set, for example, like we have, uh, you know, uh, getting information right from US, uh, you know, from nature set, we share in terms of, uh, you know, findings, uh, issues here and there, so that it is a concerted effort at uh, the international level. 
mm-hmm. yeah and also we have OIC cert uh, to be able to understand the uh, issues in the Middle East and whatnot so uh, everything you know is being uh, uh, channeled through cyber nowadays yes. any you know yes. uh, issues and whatnot in the fifth domain yeah. so uh, we are sharing a lot of uh, indicators we call it indicators of attacks and, and also indicators of uh, compromise Great. yeah Rob, what are some things that uh, governments can do, public sector organizations can do to kind of have the biggest bang for their buck in terms of reducing cyber risk? Well, uh, it, it depends on their mission. Uh, um, and what I mean by that is uh, investing in a platform that will cover down on well, identity command control. There are tools that are better than others. Mm-hmm. There are legacy applications that are so old that you really have to be mindful of, do I actually want to like have that? Mm-hmm. Um, so so things that they can do is adhere to the federal standards, for example. The, the, the guys at NIST and the federal government actually build standards out that a lot of the rest of the world sometimes stare at. It's like, well, that's a good standard. I don't yeah. have to reinvent it. So, so pick a framework, understand what has to be done. You know, you have to build in your budgets and convince your lawmakers to give you the resources to go after that. But you're, you're going to come to find that as the threat moves, you will continue to move your defensive side of your platform into a stronger position. So you just have to recognize that change engine is, is continuous. Mm-hmm. And, and people like, you know, human nature, I like to stay where I'm at. Mm-hmm. We, we're not going to get to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. So if you're a mobile workforce, you have a certain set of things that you're going to need to be able to protect because your network is at the edge. So you're your, your phone or your tablet is really the kind of thing you got to stare at. If everybody's sitting in a building and it's a terrestrial network, that's different too. Yeah. But things like 5G, as we started out with, yeah. you get ubiquitous connectivity. Mm-hmm. You really have to stare at, okay, I have... I have to protect what shows up on those devices because they are the entryway into my network. Sure. Yeah. sure. Thoughts? Yes, uh, with the uh, evolution of uh, technology, uh, not only for the good people to, to apply it, you know, for uh, betterment, for efficiency and whatnot, but at the same time, for example, like 5G, mm-hmm. uh, we are just opening, uh, I, I call it a cyber floodgate mm-hmm. uh, in terms of, you know, intrusion and whatnot. Uh, the uh, cyber criminals is using the same uh, infra or the same uh, technology, uh, but of course their objective is, uh, you know, criminal base. Uh, if compared to the, uh, you know, uh, I call it blue team to, to defense, you know, for uh, a betterment or for good usage. So um, it's a, you know, it's a arms race. It's mm-hmm. a cat it and mouse uh, game. Yeah. So uh, as to, you know, um, for the uh, set analyst, you have to be one step ahead yeah, yeah. to be able to understand the new technologies and whatnot and the risk. Uh, to contribute in terms of policy, in terms of uh, technicalities. And, and one thing I wanted to add, the, the education aspect of the workforce today. Yeah. You know, five, ten years ago, we all took cyber classes and, and, and it was information insurance then, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but today, the, the, the young kids who take this for granted, they now have to really understand what does cyber mean to them in the casual usage of the network, if you will? Mm. And so education's got to start in, in elementary school and it has to continue on yes. through, you must be a competent cyber worker yeah. to engage the network. Yeah. And, and since every public sector service, I think, uh, engages the network in some way, shape or form, we all need to understand that and, and then make sure that that's followed through on. Really true. Yeah. Aswami, Rob Carey, thank you so much for coming on and speaking Thanks to us. Thank you. Thank you. It was you great very talking much. to you both. Thank you. Welcome. 
You've been listening to a Spotlight edition of the Security Ledger podcast sponsored by RSA Security. RSA offers business-driven security solutions that provide organizations with a unified approach to managing digital risk that hinges on integrated visibility, automated insights, and coordinated actions. RSA solutions are designed to effectively detect and respond to advanced attacks, manage user access control, and reduce business risk, fraud, and cybercrime. RSA protects millions of users around the world and helps more than 90% of the Fortune 500 companies thrive and continuously adapt to transformational change. For more information, visit rsa.com.